take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 10. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a one-off message that the Lord laid on my heart because next week, (laughs) it's just going to get deep. I'm going to just tell you right now. We're starting back Genesis Fact or Fiction. That is an apologetic sermon series. And I'm going to do a mini-series to start it called A Storm is Brewing. Now, if you know Genesis 6, you know what storm I'm talking about. But I'm going to get into one of the deepest, most challenging. It's as challenging, if not more challenging, than Hebrews 6, which we went through last year, which is one of the hardest texts in the Bible. I didn't want to come out of the gate, my first sermon of 23, with something just that deep. But we're going to have to get down in it next week because there's a lot of sort of strange verbiage and and language that moves us toward the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and God was going to do something about it. God was going to bring the greatest storm the world's ever known and literally change the face of the planet. Um, And then God's going to provide salvation, of course, through Noah and his family. But I didn't want to get into it that quick. So I wanted to give us this theme to think on. And Todd did a great job reminding us not to fear in the new year. And I'm going to use that same word, but I'm going to use it in a different way today a little bit. I'm going to ask this question. What does God want from me in 2023? What does he want from me? Now, I know some of you immediately when I say that, you're thinking, well, what do you mean what does God want? God doesn't want anything. God is God everything. Yeah, okay. God doesn't need anything. That's true. God doesn't need He certainly doesn't need me. He doesn't even need this wonderful church. He doesn't need it. But what does God want? God has placed us here for such a time as this. So what are God's expectations? Because Cindy reminds me there are difference in wants and needs. I get that a lot. You know, do you really need that? Yeah, baby, I really need it. (laughs) No, I think you just want it. Okay, you got me. But, you know, what are the differences in those things? And so I want to give you the immediate context for what's happening. You guys remember over in Exodus, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Do you remember when God is giving them to Moses on Mount Sinai, what the people, do you remember what the people are doing down below with Aaron? They're making a golden what? A golden calf. Aaron asks for their jewelry, and he forms and fashions a calf. So they're going back. In other words, they're going backwards to Egyptian-style worship, where you got to worship objects and stuff. Moses gets so mad when he comes down the mountains, he breaks the tablets of God. And then Moses would end up back on the mountain after chastising the people and after the judgment of God would fall. He goes back on the mountain and there's a second pair of tablets that God writes with his own finger, the Bible says. So these are God's top ten, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. So in Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law. It doesn't mean that God is giving the law new and fresh a second time. Deuteronomy is a restatement toward the latter part of Moses' life before the mantle of leadership goes to Joshua. Deuteronomy is a restatement of the law because remember, thousands and thousands of years ago, this is an oral culture, A-U-R-A-L, and oral culture, O-R-A-L. And so it was the speaking and listening culture. So you might repeat things many, many times to help people remember. And in the context of Moses coming down the mountain and having the second set of tablets, he's saying, now look, folks, your mama and your daddy died out in the wilderness. They would not obey God the Father. 
They did not fear God the Father. But you are about to enter into the promised land. And there are some things God expects. There are some things God requires of you if you are going to enter into his rest, if you're going to enter the promised land. Now, I would say to you folks, all these many years later, God still expects some things from his people. God desires us to do certain things or to not do certain things. Now, Christianity is not a list of do and don't. That's not the way this works. But our father has expectations. Just like my father had expectations on me, our father has expectations on us. Let's see what they are. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll pick up Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And all of these are contained in 12 and 13. It looks like five things. It's really not five things, it's three things. I'm gonna boil it down and show you why it's only three things. But it appears to be five. And then the last part of the chapter, so 12 and 13 tells us what God requires, what God expects. 14 to 22 unpacks those truths, those expectations. Here we go. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him? And to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. So it looks like this, fear, walk, love, serve, keep. looks like five things. I'm going to try to prove to you in a minute. It's just three things that are articulated with nuance. And so he says this, keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today. Look at this, for your good. It does not say for your salvation. Mm Mm-mm. You're not working for your salvation. You're working for your good and his glory. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that's in it. Clearly Moses is saying God doesn't need anything, but God wants some stuff. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You, above all peoples as it is this day, therefore... Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Fear God, in other words. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers. Now watch this. God's not going to ask us to do what he doesn't first do. Verse 18, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore... You follow him, right? Love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done for you great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars in, of heaven in multitude. Let's pray. God, I love this passage of scripture. Such a powerful reminder of what you expect of us and what you do. Lord, you're not asking us of anything that you haven't first led the way in. And I pray that you teach us now by your word and your spirit that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear. And then when we leave this place, hands and feet to put into practice what we're learning and growing in today. Thank you for grace. Thank you for this wonderful family of faith. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, guys, so let's be seated for just a minute. So if you look at 12 and 13, whatever device you're using, a paper Bible, a phone, a tablet, I hope you have a copy of the Word of God. Now, look at it with me, and I think we would agree it looks like five things. God wants us to fear Him, walk in His ways, love Him, serve Him with our whole heart, keep his commandments and statutes. I think you would agree that's what 12 and 13 say. But I'm going to try to tell you that when we couple that with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, when he was asked, how do we understand all of this? Jesus said, I'm going to boil down the most important thing to you. Remember, the first and greatest commandment is this, to do what? Love. Well, he didn't start with love. He started with fear. No, wait a minute. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment, which is like it. So why is love not first? Well, love is first. Love is primary. But this is a common Hebrew structure called chiasm or a chiastic structure. Don't worry about the nuance of that, but let me explain it to you. I've got a theme. It's a main theme. And I'm going to build to it with an A topic, then a B topic, and then let's say C is the main theme, and then I'm going to explain away from it with B again and A. So it looks like this, A, B, C, B, A, or actually from left to right for you guys. Hebrews right to left, so I did it right. But for you, ready? A, B, C, main theme, B, A. So let me see if I can give you an example of it. Everybody remember Elf? He's around the table, and he says, I'm going to teach you the four main food groups in the Elf world. It's uh, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. Y'all watch too much TV. Okay, so candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. And the mother rightly concludes, oh, you like sugar. And he says, does syrup have sugar? Yes. Okay, I like sugar. So what he's really saying is our main food groups cycle around sugar. Sugar's the theme. I'm going to argue here that love is the theme. And around love, you see things like walk in his commandments, obey him. You see things like serve him and fear him. You see those things building up to the primary thing. So if I did a chiastic structure, I may give you a speech on, uh, let's see, cereal, A theme, syrup, B theme, sugar, main theme, and then I might hit B again with saying, what kind of syrup? Oh, maple syrup. What kind of syrup? Oh, maybe Fruit Loops or Captain Crunch. But they're all having to do with sugar. This is the way a lot of Hebrew writing is done. And remember, an oral and oral culture means I need to hear it repeated. So I'm going to build to the main theme, and then I'm going to teach away from the main theme. And I think that's what we see. So I'm going to break it down to three truths I want you to get a hold of today. You ready? Number one, God wants me to fear him, to fear him. Now, I know Pastor Todd did a good job unpacking for you last week. Don't fear the future. Don't fear the new year. Why? I love what he did. He said, you know the plan, and you know the planner. And he taught us some military stuff and how that looks. But you know the plan and you know the planner. So you don't fear the new year. You don't fear people. You don't fear circumstances. But you should have a healthy fear of God. Look at 12. Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord, notice this, your God. Yahweh, your Elohim. He's your personal God. Fear him. He says over in verse 20. You shall fear the Lord, repeat it exactly, your God. You see, this is a type of positive, healthy fear. When I think about fear of the Lord, of course I think about words like reverence, respect, awe. But I also think about this. When I think fear God, I think I know he's God 
and I know I'm not. (laughs) And I want to keep those two things in alignment. I know he's God, and I know I'm not. There are a lot of misunderstood verses about fear. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Yes, but the context of that is don't fear sharing the gospel. Don't fear the lost man. If you know Jesus, you know more. So don't fear sharing. 1 John 4.18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear because fear involves torment. No. That actually means you're living in this world and there's judgment coming. You don't have to fear the coming judgment. In fact, it even says in that verse, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If God's made you perfect in love, if you're saved, if you're born again in Jesus, you don't have to fear the coming judgment, but you do have to fear God. And I wonder how much fear of God is going on in the church today. You see, folks, the nature of our fear, whether positive or negative, depends on the object of our fear. The nature of our fear depends on the object. One of the things that scares me a little bit when kids are little, little, um, Lucy's age little, she's turning three next week, next week, oh my word, three next week. So the terrible twos will end just like that, right, okay. So she's three next week, she really doesn't fear yet enough, you know what I'm saying? Like the stove is hot. Lucy, the stove is hot. Well, I hope she doesn't have to have the experience of the stove is hot kind of fear. But don't you think you ought to fear a hot stove? Don't you think you ought to fear, Lucy, don't get too close to the edge of that. Sweetheart, there's no fence. Don't get too, don't you think you should have a healthy fear of falling a long distance? Sometimes we get that fear by experience. Sometimes we get it by discipline of those who love us. But the point is, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. But here's the difference in the fear Pastor Todd talked about and the fear I'm talking about. You fear the hot stove because it can hurt you. Part of fearing the Lord is the fact that he can punish you. In fact, Jesus teaches us that. I'm going to show you in just a minute. But the greater fear of God is not so much he'll hurt me, But I know who he is, and I know who I am, and I want to respect him so much that I want to stay in alignment with him. So think about it that way. And so when you fear someone or something may be out to get you, you may be paralyzed. But when you fear the Lord, you're going to be propelled. You're going to say, my dad's got my back and my front and my sides. What can man do to me? Nothing and no one can harm me. Nothing can take me away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not fearful and paralyzed. I'm in fear of God and propelled. I mean, listen, how many of y'all had a healthy fear of your father? Anybody other than me? I certainly had a healthy fear of my father. And I know my mother will likely watch one of these services. Mom, it's not that I didn't fear you, but I was more fearful when you said, wait till your father comes home. That's what got me uptight because of the way my father had a discipline. Now, beyond the um, spare the rod, hate the son physical part in the early days, later in my teenage years, it was more or less I feared him because I didn't want to disappoint him. And that's the way I begin to look at it. I don't, want my, I don't want to see the look on my dad's face when I've done something stupid and disappointed him. Or my mother for that, for, for, uh, in that age of life. But in, when it comes to the Lord, there is a healthy fear. Think about Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're going to apply knowledge rightly, you better fear God first. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is is to hate evil. Why? Because God punishes evil. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Listen to what Jesus says. 
My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more they can do, but I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now we don't hear a lot of preaching like that anymore, do we? Fear him who has the power to cast you from his presence into hell. That doesn't mean I'm coward in the corner. Oh, God's going to judge me. That means if you don't have Jesus, you're already under the condemnation of God. It's not that God's going to judge you. It's that you're already a rebel on team Satan, not team Jesus. Listen to this. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. I think if Grace Baptist Church gets a great healthy dose of the fear of the Lord, God's hand of blessing will stay on us. The day we think we are something, look at what we can do, look at what we've accomplished, is the day God says, I'm done with you. I'll move on and bless them down the street. But the day we keep, the, the days that we keep ourselves humble before God, knowing who he is and who we are, is the day that God says, those are my people. I want to bless them. They want to please me. They do not want to be a disappointment to me. So God wants us to fear him. But of course, now you know this is coming. God wants us to obey him, to obey him. Verse 12, fear the Lord your God. Walk in all of his ways. That's the B theme, if you will. Fear is A. Walk in his ways is B. It's repeated in verse 13. Keep the commandments of the Lord, his statutes. Keep the commandments of the Lord. I'm not telling you you're doing that to be saved. I'm telling you because you are a child of God, you have a desire to do the right things and to avoid the wrong. So verse 18 says, God administers justice for the fatherless and widow. God loves the stranger and gives him food and clothing. Folks, those are practical things. Do you know how many folks benefited from the food ministries, the clothing ministries, the countless carm cards, the touches of grace in 22? We're talking about not just feeding the 5,000. I'm talking about every week multiplied thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have benefited, not just here, but around the world. The multiplied hundreds of thousands of dollars that we gave away to missions work in East Tennessee, North America, and the uttermost parts of the world. And and then the teams we sent going. You've seen our highlight reels. All of the things. But me individually, personally, privately, as one little part of this body, because certainly I'm not the head of this church. That's Jesus' role. And I would be foolish to try to take his role. But God has called me and God has said, you are going to pastor and help lead here and cast vision and move this thing forward. But I know who Jesus is and I know I'm not him. But in my own life, I've got to be generous and giving and obedient. And Jesus says over and over in the gospels, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If all we do in 23 is keep the aquarium, if all we do is keep ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and we don't reach the lost and we don't reach the undone and we don't reach the broken and we don't go beyond these walls, if all we do is keep this place up, shame on us. We got to go. We got to go across the street. We got to go around the world. We got to see that people are, that need the Lord get the gospel and they get physical, practical help everywhere we go. Obedience is carrying out the word and the will of another person, especially the will of God. When I obey, I'm listening to someone in authority over me. 
And oftentimes in the Old and New Testaments, when we see the words obey in the Greek or the Hebrew language, it often has something to do with hearing. Hupoakuo is one of the most common words in Greek, and it means to listen under. I'm listening under, okay, God, how do I hear you? I read the word, I pray. I'm hearing from God, and in hearing from God, okay, now what do I do with that? I respond actively. When God wants me to do it, I do it. I don't wait, I do it. But I think we've sometimes substituted our own ideas of obedience with what God really desires. Y'all remember the story in 1 Samuel 15 when God told King Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all of their livestock? And Saul thought he was a little smarter than God. And Saul said, I'm going to spare the king, King Agag. I think I'm going to spare him. And I'm going to spare out the the best sheep. So the old prophet Samuel comes walking up and he hears the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of cattle. And he says, Saul, what have you done, boy? He said, because you wouldn't obey God, the kingdom will be ripped from you. You will not be God's king for long. And Saul said, no, man, chill out. This is the Lewis paraphrase. Chill out a little bit, Mr. Prophet. He said, hey, I was going to sacrifice all this cool stuff to God. Look at what I've done for the Lord. See, he thought his plan was better than God's plan. And I love what the great prophet said back to the king. He said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. What does that look like today? You're not being asked to go kill a king and slaughter the animals of a kingdom. What you're being asked to do is be obedient to God. And what you might have a tendency to do is say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just give a little bit more. And I'm not telling you not to give a little more. I'm just saying, follow my illustration. So I'll just do this. I'll just teach a little more. I'll sing a little more. I'll play a little more. I'll do the, that guy on the street out there. I'll go buy his lunch. Okay, all of that is fine. But if you're doing that in the place of really obeying God and walking in obedience with him, you think God cares? <laughs> do you think you're impressing the Lord? Man, I don't think we're impressing the Lord. You know, I want you to listen to this quote about obedience. I don't know who wrote it. It's been around forever. I couldn't find an original source. I've used it for years. Selected obedience is not obedience at all. It is merely convenience. See, Saul killed some of the people. He didn't kill all the people. Saul killed some of the animals. He didn't kill all the animals. And even if what God tells you to do seems strange to you, you're not the arbiter. You don't get to decide. He is the judge. He is the jury. He is the executioner. And so what we need to do is remember, I've also told my children many, many, many times over that delayed obedience is disobedience. See, if I tell them as their father to do something and they say, I'll get to that later, unless I give them permission to get to that later, it ought to be done right now and it ought to be done in the right way. And so when God tells us to do something, why would we not just say, yes, father, that's what you want. That's what I'm going to do. Nate Saint was one of five missionaries killed by the Aka Indians. He once said his life didn't change until he came to grips with the idea that, quote, obedience is not a momentary option. It is a die-cast decision made beforehand. Now, I don't want to be graphic, but I thought about this in the first service and I decided not to share it, and then I kind of kicked myself. A die-cast decision made beforehand. When you were a teenager, and again, I'm not going to be graphic here, but when you were a teenager, Let's say you were out on a date with somebody you really, really liked. I mean, they were smoking hot. And I mean, and they love Jesus, maybe. I don't know. But let's say they were just, you know, 
But here's the deal. You got alone and, you know, you started holding hands and maybe you got a little kissy kissy. And then if you had not had your mind made up about how far you would go with the basis, so to speak, how easy, now you don't have to out yourself here. I just want you to think in your, how easy is it to stop in what we'll call the heat of the moment? Is it easy? I'm not looking at you. Thank you, an honest brother or sister. It is not easy. You see what I'm saying? Because God has made us to have desires that lead to children. That lead to, so the point is, again, without being graphic, what we've tried to tell our children and what we've tried to instill is to say, you've got to make some decisions on the front end. You've got to decide now. Because if you don't decide now, when the heat turns up, <laughs> you ain't going to be able to stop then. That's just the reality. Y'all know what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Y'all know I can see you, right? So I can see you if you do this or if you. You got to decide beforehand. See, I, as I grew, as I grew in my walk with the Lord, as I grew just in maturity, I realized that I don't want to disobey my parents, not just because it might hurt me or I may lose privilege. I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to hurt them. And by this being disobedient, it's disappointing and it hurts. But see, I know what we do. We want the experience and we want the aha moment with God, but that's, that's not how we really need to learn to obey. Let, let me use an illustration. There was a young man named Daniel and he went to a man named Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Y'all following me? <laughs> Good. I'm glad there are more heathens in the room. So, uh, no, Mr. Miyagi, I want you to teach me karate. Okay, come over here, Danielson. We're going to teach you karate. Wax the car. Everybody remember this. Wax on, wax off. Everybody got it? Wax on, wax off. Okay, Danielson. I don't remember the order. I don't know the exact. Don't you email me. I don't care. This ain't the point. I ain't watched it in a long time. I've discovered that when I watch PG movies from my childhood, they're a lot worse than I remembered. They didn't have PG-13, but anyway. Okay, Danielson, I want you to, I don't remember, paint the fence, right? Paint the fence, paint the fence. Danielson, I want you to sand the floor, sand the floor. Go back over here, and Danielson, about the time Danielson loses it, I want you to paint the house. I mean, Mr. Miyagi, he's got fishing pole, and he's got his little tackle box. He's going fishing, man. And Danielson said, I had enough. I do not want to do any of your, more, your unwanted chores. I'm not doing it. And, and he kind of, Mr. Miyagi, just cool. He was chill. He said, show me, uh, wax the car. And he waxed it. Well, you know, this way, I think, whatever it was. Sand the floor. Paint the fence. Paint the house. And so Danielson goes right back through those moves. But in one of the coolest scenes of the movie, other than the end scene with the crane thing, and he kicked the dude out. That was cool. But in a very cool scene before that, Miyagi unleashes, I mean, he launches this attack and it's hi whatever it is. And Danielson just wham, wham, wah, wah. You know, he does all this stuff and you're like, how did he do that? Because the master knew all along that it was in the seemingly ordinary task repeated and repeated and repeated that he could learn to defend himself. And I know you're out there saying, please don't just tell us to read the Bible in 2023. Don't talk about prayer and going to a group and being involved in worship and serving. Please give me something new. There is nothing new under the sun. 
And the reality is that the more you get into the word and the more the word gets into you, when the enemy comes to attack, and he will, you will be able to say, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You will be able to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? I know you think it, but, it, but it's the same stuff, preacher. The moment you begin to hear a different message in a different gospel, you better run, man. Because they're trying to sell you something that's not in the scriptures. The Bible says to be obedient in the basics. Well, teach us more, teach us more. Well, how about we get the main things right first, and then we'll go to level B. And next week, I promise, you better come ready with your deep boots on because we're going deep next week. And the reality is this, it is in those seemingly mundane things that our skill really is developed. It's muscle memory, guys. It's muscle memory. Every one of my bow hunters out here, you know if you bow hunt, you better practice up. It is muscle memory. It is a feeling as much as anything. And I'm learning with bow fishing, it's even more a feeling because you don't have sights. I'm impressed. Little Bobby's really, he's not so little now, but he's really figured out this, this bow fishing thing. And he thinks he's better than his old man. He's not, but he thinks he is. But it's, it's muscle memory stuff. So yes, read your Bible. Have daily times of prayer. Grow in a group. Participate in worship. Serve faithfully. Sounds like GPS. Grow in a group. Participate in worship. Serve faithfully. Sounds good to me. Well, aren't you going to give us a new theme this year? Don't we get new words? Don't we get a new mission statement, a new vision statement? I want a new t-shirt. Then go somewhere else. Because the reality is... I'm just pretty boring, and I'm not that trendy. We're going to keep doing the same things. And, and listen, hundreds of people coming to know the Lord, hundreds upon hundreds coming to the faith, hundreds coming here, and thousands around the world with our partnerships. Something's going right. I'm not going to change it. Mama said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we're going to keep doing what we do. Fear the Lord. Obey the Lord. And of course, the pinnacle of all of it, right? It's building up. Fear Him. Obey Him. Love Him. God wants me to love Him. It says, what does the Lord require of you? Fear Him. Walk in His ways. Love Him. Part of obedience is service. Part of obedience is keeping the commandments and fearing God. But love Him. I don't want to do all of this stuff because I have to, but because I want to. 16, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Take away the fat around this muscle that is indicative or a visual of the innermost part of the will. Take away anything that hinders that. And remember, circumcision was a sign of the covenant given to Abram, who became Abraham, back when God was calling the Jewish people to be a special and chosen people. And God says to us, Gentiles grafted into that vine, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Get away anything by way of the fat of sin or self-reliance and love God. What do you mean love God? Well, how can I love God? Because 1 John four nineteen says he first loved us. But how do I know that I'm loving God? Well... God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I can show my love for God. I can demonstrate my love. He's not asking for a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. But I'll tell you how the Bible articulates how you can know if you're loving God well. Listen, 1 Corinthians 13 discovers what love is and what it isn't, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not boast. It's not proud, etc. So what it is and what it isn't. But 1 John 4, 20 and 21 really shows us how we can know if we're loving God well. Listen to this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother... He's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So if you have hate in your heart this morning, folks, I'm telling you, something's wrong in your relationship with God. Preacher, you don't know what they did to me. Doesn't matter. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Well, you don't know how they feel about me. Doesn't matter. I'm not saying that they're going to love you in return. I'm saying you need to get some things right and you need to let go and let God. Whether they're willing to restore and reconcile or not, you need to do your part to learn to love them in Christ. Well, I can't. That's where you're right. Only the Lord Jesus through you can truly love people that at times are unlovable. Only the Lord Jesus through you. You know, when I was um, young and my parents started their business when I was about eight. In fact, it was the year uh, we discovered in the back, it was the year Karate Kid actually came out, the original. Um, They started their business. My dad had me working in the warehouse right out of the gate. And one of the first things he taught me to do was to cut gauge glass. Gauge glass would come in variant length tubes and it was a tempered glass that could hold extremely hot water. A boiler is simply that which mixes fire and water. Does it in different ways, but then it creates pressure. Pressure creates steam and steam in many ways makes the world go round when it comes to textiles and heating. And so my parents dealt with really large places, hospital systems, um, military bases, prisons, schools, etc., and um, uh, in North Carolina in those days, a lot of textile plants. And so it was very important that you have on the outside of each boiler, and sometimes depending on configuration, you had more than one, but you had a, we call it a water gauge glass unit. It was a unit with some valves, and it was very important that that gauge glass was cut appropriately and it was sealed right, and you wanted to make sure in a boiler you never had too little water. Because you were asking for a disaster, a meltdown, an explosion. It was awful, the things that boilers could do if they were not maintained properly. And so I had the job of cutting this gauge glass. And my dad would show me when we'd go into a boiler room. And it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger stuff. A lot of these were very nice, very clean, relatively speaking. But you looked at the gauge glass because you couldn't really look in the boiler to see where the water level was. But as the gauge glass water indicated, it would be... Exactly the same in the boiler. So you saw on the outside what the reality was on the inside. I hope that makes sense. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you today is your love for your fellow man is a key indicator of your love for God. It is not the only indicator, but it is a key indicator. And when you look at how you treat other people, I've heard tales of preachers that they got up and preached about God and his love and da, 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 da. And then they acted like absolute horses backsides away from their pulpits. That ain't right, y'all. That is not right. And if somebody's going to be ugly to you out there, or listen, if a guy has prejudice and hatred and bigotry in his heart and he claims to be a man or a woman of God, something's wrong, man. Don't tell me you love God and yet you hate your brother. You're a liar, according to the Bible. And so when we unpack all of this and we think, you know, God took care of the stranger, the foreigner, the widow, the fatherless. God clothed them. God fed them. God gave them the truth. God showed them the truth. How are we looking? You know, one of the reasons I think 
we've seen the hand of God. Four years, it's hard for me. It's, it's gone by so quickly in some ways. And then with COVID, we had a few crazy seasons. But four years, four years ago, God called me here. And four years ago, the first week of January 2019, I started preaching in, as your pastor and started leading this team. And yes, there have been a lot of changes. But as much as anything, one of the reasons I think God's blessed us, getting really good men and women on this team, but really trying to love those outside of our walls with great intentionality. Really trying to help them in many, many ways. And I know Grace has done that for years and been a lighthouse, but even to a greater degree in stepping up some things. And I really believe that if we will continue to focus out rather than just in, God will make 23 even better than 22, even better than 21. There was a little boy playing outside. And for the first time ever, he heard his echo Hello, he shouted. Hello, was the reply. Who are you? Who are you? But see, he didn't understand what an echo was yet. So the little boy got to thinking, there's a kid out there in the woods mocking me, and he became angry. Why don't you come out? Why don't you come out? I'll fight you. I'll fight you. Now he's really mad. He's running home. He said, Mama, there's a boy out there, and he's saying everything I'm saying. He's mocking me. Well, Mom was smart, and Mom knew that's just an echo. But rather than trying to explain it, she said, Sweetheart, why don't you go back out right where you were? And with all you've got, why don't you yell, I love you, and see what he says. That's what the little fella did. He didn't want to, but he bucked up, and he said, I love you. I love you, I love you. And he learned a very valuable lesson. If you make ugly faces in the mirror, you'll get an ugly face staring back at you. And I fear sometimes Christians get into the church and we sing God's praise. We might even lift a hand for a little bit Bapticostal. We might even clappy clap just for a minute. We might give. And then we go out and treat our waiter like a dog. If you're going to do that, don't tell them where you go to church. Or we go out there and we show ugly faces. And our Lord is not a Lord of ugly faces. Now listen, Jesus turned the tables over when needed. But that was righteous indignation. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to refrain from laughing. There's a time to get serious. But my point is, does our gauge glass, does our echo look and sound right? Is it an indicator that we are really obeying God and loving God well by loving others? You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is the first and great commandment. But the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everything hangs on that. So what does God want? He wants me to fear him. He wants me to obey him. And in so doing, I'm showing that I love him. A certain medieval monk announced that he'd be preaching on the love of God in their Sunday evening service at the cathedral. As the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the great cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and I know we don't typically have these in evangelical churches, but there in that cathedral, there was a crucifix hanging, a symbol of our Lord on the cross. And as he lit that candle, he walked to the crucifix and he illuminated the crown of thorns. 
It was the only light in the whole place. And then he went down to the wounded hands. He showed the pierced side. And then the monk went all the way down with that candle to the feet where a nail had pinned him to the cross. He brought the candle back up. He blew it out and he walked off the altar. Many in the service said it was the greatest message they'd ever witnessed on the love of God. The reason I'm asking us to love well in 2023, to obey well and fear God, is because God first loved us. And I'm asking you this morning as we start this new season through the eyes of faith, my brothers and my sisters, I want you to see him there. He's taken the beatings to within an inch of his life. The crown of thorns have been placed upon his brow and surely he's trying to blink the blood away. He's been spit upon and mocked. He's declared, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The nails don't hold him there, but his love for us is keeping him on the old rugged cross and he would finally cry out, it is finished. And he committed his spirit to his father. They would take his body down, hastily begin to wrap it for the sun would be setting soon as Friday would come to Saturday and Sabbath. They'd place him in a tomb where no one had ever been laid, very close to Golgotha. They would huddle together in an upper room for fear of the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans. And early Sunday morning after Sabbath, the ladies would get the cloth and spices together to finish the job they had started. And they'd walk to the tomb where they clearly saw his body go in, and yet now the great stone was rolled away. As they peeked inside, there was really nothing but the face covering folded neatly, the burial cloth, but then angelic announcers said, wait, what are you looking for? You seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now go, tell his disciples. Go tell Peter. And they would do just that. Later on the road to Emmaus, there would be two followers of the Messiah, downhearted, broken in spirit, but the Lord himself would appear and walk among them, but they wouldn't see him until he broke bread and their heartache turned to heartburn. Their hearts burned within them for they knew they had just shared a meal with the Messiah. Over the course of the next 40 days, he would appear to well over 500 eyewitnesses. And there on a mount outside of Jerusalem, he would be called away to ascend back to the right hand of his father so that he could then send the Holy Spirit for those who remained. And he told those closest to him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the very uttermost parts of the earth. And they took that commission seriously because that's why we're here today. But then an angel would tell them, hey boys, why are you standing here looking at the clouds? He's gone just like he told you he would, and he's coming again. Now get busy, there's work to do. And that is the age in which we live. 
I'm not asking us, Grace family, to stand here all year just looking at the clouds. I believe the eastern sky could part at any moment. But until it does, we got to get busy sharing the love of Jesus and showing the love of Jesus because this same Savior crucified for us, buried, resurrected by the power of God, ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's coming again. And in the meantime, the enemy's going to come at me and the enemy's going to come at you. And because I'm a student of the word and because I'm a man of prayer, I'm going to go, not today, Satan. Get out of my face because I'm practiced up and I'm disciplined and I'm not the man I'm going to be. But praise God, I'm not the man I once was. And I want people on the journey. I want people excited about the discipline, excited about the opportunity, because when the battle comes, I know this, we win on Team Jesus. As Jeff comes up for our great hymn of invitation, the words of the 200-year-old hymn still ring true. I love thee, I love thee. I love thee, my Lord. I love thee, my Savior. I love thee, my God. I love thee, I love thee, and that thou dost know. But how much I love thee, my actions will show. (laughs) Fear him, obey him, love him. That's what God wants from me in 2023. Stand with me. We ran out at Christmas because we didn't have enough faith for all the people that were coming to the services. We have reprinted Bible calendars. Oh, there he goes again. Yep. Wax on, wax off. As I've started the Evidence Study Bible this year from Ray Comfort, I've already learned several things I'd never knew before. Already spoken to my heart in ways that even reading other study Bibles, I'd never seen some of the truths that he and those who write with him, Kirk Cameron and others, have brought out. These are available for you at the kiosk out there or at the information desk. Please take one or several for you, friends, or family. It's also on our app and website. I'm going to ask you, because the service cut off last week and I was not able to see the tail end of Pastor Todd's um, invitation, I don't know if he gave you an opportunity to commit the year to the Lord or not, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We've got men and women counselors that are going to be very visible up front, along with pastors that are going to be very visible up front. Would you guys just step out away from your seats for a second? They're going to be here as well, and I'm going to start something new. I know it's not an entirely post-COVID world, but listen we got to keep moving, okay? And so if you're comfortable with it, for a long time we didn't have people here specifically, but I want to ask you to commit the year to the Lord. Lord, I want to fear you, obey you, love you well this year. Because the church is only as strong as us. We are the church. It's not the building or the ground. It's us. So if you commit it to the Lord, there may be something you want to give to one of these guys to pray with you about or one of these ladies. We're going to have ladies and gentlemen up front. There may be something you need to ask specifically. There may be a spiritual decision you need to make. Maybe God is calling you to salvation. Maybe God is calling you to resurrender. Maybe God is calling you to ministry. Maybe to vocational service. Praise God. How about coming and telling somebody and getting some counsel on it? But the altar will also be open between them if you just feel so inclined to come. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as I begin to pray, I'm going to ask anybody and everybody that wants to commit this year to the Lord totally and completely, God, I'm going to ask, Lord, that I recommit, re-surrender myself to you. 
if there's anybody else here that wants to give 2023 completely over to you, I know, Lord, we can make excuses. We're not going to be perfect. We are going to stumble in many ways, but that shouldn't mean that we ought not try to be more disciplined, to learn the basics so that when the attacks come, we are more than ready because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So as I commit myself here in a moment, would other men and women, even boys and girls come and commit themselves at this holy altar in this holy place on this holy day. And if they need counsel, salvation or re-surrender or just prayer, let them see a pastor or counselor up front. We commit this time to you in the final moments we have together this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.